Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comic Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Jeremy. And we are here today to discuss a bunch of things with barely any X-Men. There's a couple of future X-Men. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. If there's ever an episode to skip, I feel like I've said this before, if there's ever an episode to skip, this is it. But you might miss out on future context. Yeah, there's some things that you probably didn't ever read. <laughs> there's some, I don't know. There are definitely some things in here I didn't read. So, I don't know. This might be a quick episode, but that's okay. Yep. So, let's... let's it, this is this is the uh, buffet, the smorgasbord episode. Yeah, remember when we used to do episodes like this? This will be like that, but shorter. <laughs> and, and feature uh, less things that matter. I shouldn't say that. All of it matters, but... Uh, well, less things that matter to us because of the lack of X-Men. Yeah. So let's uh, let's just kick her right off with a Secret Wars 2. You know, we got to cover it just because it's kind of happening in the backdrop. Uh, even though this issue features, I want to say, maybe two panels of X-Men. I don't even think it features that. There's definitely one panel. Um, uh, to summarize, this particular issue is basically... Uh, the Beyonder, uh, his hunger, he discovers his hunger for power. He meets like a low-life thug who realizes that this man has a whole bunch of power and they start doing heists together and Beyonder starts making gold and whatnot. And the Beyonder, he decides that he really likes uh, power, I guess, right? Like power over people and things. He really likes electronics. There's a whole scene where he's got like blenders and KitchenAids and... You know, 80s type technology. I don't know if he likes power so much as Vinny tells him that that's what he should be doing. That could be, right? But the Beyonder's like a child with all this power trying to discover what what, what purpose is, I suppose. And uh, Vinny, who is a, a thug that he meets, um, he just says, hey, it's dames and it's, it's, it's money and gold and stuff. Uh, Vinny is not a pimp. However, he does... Uh... He is the boss of a pimp who is the pimp of a prostitute named Toots. Yeah. Who the Beyonder, who, who is how the Beyonder meets up with Vinny in a comical scene. Yeah. Frankly, this, this episode or this issue is, uh, from my recollection, one of the poorest written ones. It's the first three of the series so far has been kind of jokey and kind of like, ah, let's put the odd man in the middle of uh, nowhere or in the middle of America and see how he reacts. Um, and it's fun. Uh, I don't think, I think it starts picking up like the, 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 the secret war story starts picking up after this. Yes. The beyonder adopts his, uh, more permanent for the series look, which, uh, I think is modeled after a more muscular Michael Jackson. Yeah. It's kind of a whiter, more muscular Michael Jackson. Uh, Vinny says it's real mod like Michael Jackson or somebody. Yeah, that's what he decides that his look needs to be is mod. Um, and so he wears kind of outlandish, baggy clothes, um, and he adopts the Michael Jackson hair. Um, yeah, but I mean, so anyways, he he eventually, Vinny is like, you take all the fun out of everything. Like, we're gambling, but you just have us win. Like, where's the thrill in that? It doesn't make any sense. You know what it reminds me of? Over New Year's, um, I uh, was sick, so I didn't go anywhere. So I just stayed at home uh, and watched Netflix all night. And I watched uh, Twilight Zone episodes, just back to back to back to back, just like the old days uh, in sci on the Sci-Fi Channel, which I think they still do. But um, 
the point is, is there was an episode in which a guy is killed and he goes to what he presumes to be heaven and he's given everything he wants, but he soon realizes that with everything he wants, where's the challenge? Where's the desire? Like I can have all these women and I can win all this money, but, but where's the challenge and what's the point? And then he realizes he's in hell and that's the twilight zone <laughs> twist. Not quite what happens here. Well, I think, I think Vinny is, he's an interesting character in that his, his, his outlook does not overreach his grasp. At some point he realizes like a guy like me, this is pretty much as good as it's going to get for me. So I'm out. I'm done. Yeah. You, you beyonder, or I guess they don't even call him the beyonder, but you powerful guy. He calls him Frank. Frank, you're right. Uh, are destined for, for greater things. So Frank does do greater things and he's got women and helicopters and boats and he eats a ton of food and he gets really fat and every all the girls hang around with him because he's got the money but secretly they're like he's kind of gross because he's fat and since he's the beyonder he just converts that fat to energy and he's he's right back in business (laughs) yeah he ends up subverting the kingpin bends his will and then he's like well this is great but but i still want more so then he he bends the will of the united states government and then ultimately the world and uh basically turns every living creature into a servant. Yes, except for... Molecule Man. Yep. Um, and then Molecule Man releases his girlfriend, which I can't remember her name. Marsha. Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Or uh, was her name like Titania? Yeah, maybe. I think that might have been her Secret Wars 1 name. Anyways, yeah, he he discovers, because remember, as I said in Secret Wars number 1, all they do is sit around eating junk food and watching TV, which is exactly what they're doing now. But he detects that the molecules in the air and the molecules in the popcorn, they're not they're not in charge. They're being influenced by somebody else. It might be the Beyonder. Same thing with Marsha. So he's got the power to release uh, Marsha from this control, and then they just go on and continue watching uh, shows. And this is where we get the panel of X-Men. We see Nightcrawler and Wolverine uh, as well, and Cyclops as well as many other Marvel superheroes kind of on their knees, uh, their wills subverted uh, and bent towards the Beyonder. Right, because the Beyonder can do that. And in an interesting thing, and I had forgotten about this until I read this, he, the Beyonder, meets up with Circuit Breaker. Which is very bizarre because, (laughs) as far as I know, Secret Breaker does not appear outside of Transformers ever. Well, she she appears in Secret Wars 2, number 3. Right. I mean, other than this. Right. So, <clears throat> how do you look at this? Like, I think Spider-Man visited the Transformers. He was in issue 2 or issue 3. I don't remember which one. And that, and if Circuit, I mean, this just means that G.I. Joe, Cobra, and Transformers are part of the Marvel Universe. I think they initially were, but so was Godzilla. <laughs> I See? Oh, I mean, yeah. Anyways, uh, this is just weird. Like, they have a conversation. Cause, so, so he had a fixation with electronics early on, and she's a woman who, I guess, was paralyzed, but then she was given her mobility back and strength by all of this circuitry and bionics and whatnot. And she hates robots, especially them Transformers. But you would expect, like, okay, if you're going to bring Circuit Breaker in here, who is such an odd character to bring in, shouldn't she have something profound to teach the Beyonder? This feels like an advertisement for Transformers. Yeah. But not a very good one. Because, <laughs> I mean, I think Circuit Breaker is only in two issues of Transformers. Uh, she is a recurring villain character, but but not often enough to be to call 
a main character. So we get three panels of Circuit Breaker, and uh, and she's like, okay, I'm your servant. And uh, Beyonder's like, all right, I'm out of here. <laughs> and like, that's it. Yeah, she basically tells her story, and then he walks away. <laughs> okay. It is very strange. So he ultimately, he gets bored. He's got all this, he owns everything. He's in charge of everything. And uh, he went, he goes and talks to Vinny and Vinny's like, you are my master. Uh, and then he meets up with Toots and Toots is now no longer a prostitute. She's a waitress and uh, he releases her from her, con- his control because he's now seeing that there's benefit in free will, I think. And uh, she thanks him like, you were good to me even before you took control of my mind and the rest of the world. And because of that, I stopped being a prostitute. Now I'm a waitress. You're a good man. But we can never be together. So see ya. And that's when he releases everybody from his power. Which is the second panel of the X-Men. We've got uh, Colossus and Wolverine and Nightcrawler in the background. Oh, yeah, you're right. Okay, I didn't. I kind of skimmed right through that. And maybe the professor is on the far right hand right next to Cyclops? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so there's your X-Men tie-in. <laughs> so there's your X-Men tie-in. I think that's more than any other issue that we're covering has. <laughs> it might, yeah, I think you're right. Uh, at this point, the Beyonder, he's like, he decides he wants to use his power for good, and there's nobody more good than the Avengers. Well, sort of. The thing that he gets from Toots is that she's he has helped her, and that feels good. And so he goes to the Avengers because they help people. Right. And he wants to know more about this. Yes. And Jarvis spills the beans that the Avengers are away in the Skrull galaxy. And the Beyonder's like, oh, well, I'll go join them. And apparently things do not go well because he teleports hours later back to the middle of Manhattan. His clothes are all torn up. He's very distressed. And he decides that he needs to talk to a lawyer, specifically Matt Murdock. Yes, Matt Murdock. I'm not sure why his clothes are torn up. I think it's just the style. Because nothing happens in that issue to tear up his clothes. Oh, but I mean, his clothes are torn up. I think that's the style, though. What's weird is in in the previous pages, he's wearing like a blue suit. And then when he teleports, you can't really see the the color of his clothes because he's all yellow. But it's definitely the same outfit as he's wearing in the last two panels where his suit is red with like a purple torn undershirt. Very strange. He's beyonder. He does what he wants. Sure. He's like, oh, I want some new threads. So in the Avengers issue, nobody rips his shirt. Okay. Um, He creates a suit of armor so that he kind of looks like an Avenger because he's like, oh, that's that's what everybody's doing. Um, And the Avengers are battling Nebula, who you may remember from Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, the blue girl who was played by the companion from Doctor Who. Uh, Karen Gillian oh, and um, wait a minute, that was Karen Gillian, the bald girl. Yeah, I got to rewatch that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I knew that. And strangely, Nebula is not bald in this issue, prompting a question: Why did they make her shave her head? But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, the Beyonder, in order to trying to help uh, the Avengers, sends Nebula away when, and the Avengers are kind of like, we wanted to capture her. And he just sends her to the other side of the galaxy, which I guess means she manages to escape. Anyway, then they send him away and he's like, and that's when he comes back and he's like, that was a disaster. Yeah. I'm not sure why he just doesn't bring her back. Hmm. And then he goes to Matt Murdock and Foggy Nelson and says, hey, I want to take over the world again, but this time I want to do it through legal means. It can take you as long as it's going to take, but I want you to figure out all the legal loopholes. I just want to do this legally. (laughs) And so uh, he pays them by giving them a million dollars that he acquired through 
legal means from a from a ship at the bottom of the sea or something like that. Um, and then he gives Matt Murdock eyesight. I do re- I do remember that from Matt Murdock's running around being able to see things and he's very happy about that too, as I recall. He's yeah, but doesn't he like decide to give it up because the thing that he's doing is wrong or something? Yeah, in the end, he decides that they probably could help the Beyonder out this way, but it just it's not. It goes against everything that he is being Daredevil, right? And he so he call he says, "Give me, give me back uh, my blindness. I'm not working for you." And the Beyonders will like, "All right, tell you what, you know, you can keep your eyesight, and I'll I'll just I won't I won't uh, I won't hire you guys. That's fine." And then Matt Murdock is like, "No, I'll sue you," <laughs> which is stupid. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, and so Matt Murdock's blind again. Yeah. Moral of the story. Next issue of Secret Wars 2 we get some Dazzler action yeah we get some Dazzler and then the one after that we get some actual X-Men that's right although there's probably some X-Men in the next one too and I just missed them as I missed them in this issue (laughs) I haven't read uh, uh, Secret Wars 2 number 4 in a while so it'll be a surprise to me for the next time that we cover that particular issue surprise um but speaking of Dazzler, uh, we, we're, we're in the home stretch, everybody. Uh, this is issue 39, just uh, three more to go, and we're out. So you got that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> this particular uh, issue um, isn't bad. It's, it, as with last issue, they're trying to establish this bounty hunter named OZ Chase and his uh, faithful canine companion named Cerebus who likes to eat cigars, which is very weird. But, uh, do we ever get the backstory on the dog? Uh, not that I know of, but I mean, there's, there's three more issues, so maybe, (laughs) but, but not yet. Anyways, he will make an appearance in the pages of uncanny X-Men. Okay. So you have that to look forward to. Great. Anyways, (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> there's a the story basically is uh, surrounding a man whose daughter um, kind of went off the deep end and went off to Los Angeles, did a bunch of drugs, and uh, saw like a Dazzler show. And when Dazzler did like her light display, it kind of switched something into her brain. So now this guy's daughter just spends her days sitting in a chair going like, ooh, look at the lights, the lights, the lights are so pretty. Uh, and uh, he's taking her to doctors and doctors are like, she, she was this was going to happen no matter what. Dazzler just happened to be the catalyst, but it could have been anything. And the guy's like, no, it was Dazzler. So he's got revenge that he must get against Dazzler. So he, uh, through the laboratory that he works at, finds this suit that I guess is able to destroy organic matter. uh, And he steals this suit with the plan of uh, finding Dazzler and killing her in front of his daughter so that his daughter will snap out of whatever uh, catatonic state she's in. It's a great plan. Yeah, you know. It works. And then, of course, OZ Chase and Cerebus are are on her trail because uh, they have been hired uh, to... There's a bounty on Dazzler for things that she did in Los Angeles. But the more OZ Chase learns about Dazzler, the less interested he is in capturing her uh, and more interested in um, getting to know her a little bit better. Uh, but he's still a man driven by money, so he, he kind of waffles throughout this issue. Um Dazzler is kind of uh, resorted now to taking kind of low rent uh, 
you know, podunk bar gigs just so that she can still feel what it's like to sing and, and, uh, perform and, and stuff like that. And, but everybody knows that she's Dazzler. So she still has those issues that she's got to contend with through some circumstance of fate. She ends up saving some kids from a camper that rolled off the side of the road and this busload of people see them and they're like, oh, you're Dazzler. We heard you're bad, but you did good things. I'm so confused. Maybe things aren't black and white. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyways, it all culminates at this club where the father comes in this suit and they have like a big fight. Uh, the daughter is brought to watch what is supposed to be the destruction of Dazzler, but ultimately Dazzler has to, uh, in order to save herself, she has to kind of blind the father who is about to disintegrate her. And uh, she doesn't kill him, but she, she dazzle blasts him uh, to such a degree that, um, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. The daughter, as she's seeing this fight occur, she kind of snaps out of it and she's like, daddy, and she's... She starts coming out of her catatonic uh, state. And then that's when the dazzle blast occurs. And now the daughter is like, oh, you know, she's all articulate and she's able to speak. But now the father, since he saw this bright dazzle blast, now he's going, ooh, the light, the light. And he's the one who's now catatonic. While the daughter's like, we'll fix this, dad. But she doesn't seem to be holding a grudge against Dazzler. She's like, nope, this was going to happen. It was kind of fate, but I'm going to take care of you, dad. And at the very end of the issue, Dazzler's tired and she's spent all of her power and she goes inside of the hotel room and that's when Ozzy Chase pulls a sawed-off shotgun and says, you're under arrest and you're coming with me. So they hop into his truck and they're going to Colorado. Whoa! And the next issue of Dazzler is a Secret Wars 2 tie-in. Imagine that. No way. Yes, sir. Is Was Dazzler in that X-Men arcade game from a while back? Remember the, the big arcade? I think it was like a Konami one. You know, the classic X-Men arcade game. She certainly was. Whenever she made a move, did she go, Dazzle Blast! Dazzle Blast! I don't believe so, no. Oh, that would have been perfect. There's actually a, a, an arcade uh, in, in town. That uh, it's a pizza joint slash arcade, and uh, it, they have it there. And uh, I I was there, and uh, I had you know two bucks and quarters or whatever, and I had a, a friend of mine with me, and we were playing two player X Men uh, arcade game. I don't think either one of us was Dazzler, but she was there uh, as a playable character. And I recall getting to like the third or fourth stage and being like, uh, I'm actually kind of bored because <laughs> all you're doing is like mashing the the power button and jumping and. And, you know, if you die halfway through the level, you stick another quarter in. You could probably beat that game on like two and a half dollars and not even be that good at it. I don't know about two and a half dollars. Doesn't it get uh, progressively harder? The the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles one, my friends and I, were you a part of that? No. This must have been after you or or before you. Probably before. Um, uh, We went, it was at that local market that was down the street. And they had Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game, before the X-Men game. Yeah. I think this was like the first one. It was yeah. before the Simpsons one, even. Yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking and about. And that one was, I feel like the levels were at least a little bit different. I mean, it was a button masher, but like there was one level where you were on flying skateboards. Yeah. But, yeah, ultimately it was the same thing. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the engine between Simpsons, Turtles, and X-Men was the same. I mean, you went from right to left. Things burst out of walls. I'm sure there was probably an elevator that you were going down and then you're going maybe off to the left. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, 
Whatever. They're still fun, super fun games. But So for one of my birthdays, we all had $10 quarter uh, bundles. Yeah. And and we went and we, we beat the whole game right down to the last quarter. So it took us 40 bucks. Holy cow. Are you kidding me? Never said I was any good at it. No, I, I guess. I mean, you're, you're probably right. I mean, I, I think it was like midway through level three, stage three, where I was like, uh, I'd already put, I'd put like a dollar in and made it to that point. And I had died again. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Because you know, the most, as as I recall, and this is a distant memory, most of the places where we died were the boss levels. Yeah, yeah. I bet you the bosses were also uh, uh, harder with more players. Like, so if you had four people all playing, I mean, that could be yeah. the boss was probably harder than if you would have just had two people playing. That that could be. Yeah. Anyways, what else we got on this? Uh, lineup um i read alpha flight number 26 um honestly the stuff that i read didn't have a whole lot to talk about uh last issue if you recall we learned that guardian was back from the dead well this issue it turns that turns out that guardian betrays the team and he's actually a robot and that's pretty much the gist it's a it's a plot by Omega Flight. Do you remember them? Only in that you've talked about them. Yeah. I feel like at least one of their members will show up in the X-Men at some point. Um, they capture Heather, Talisman, Puck, North Star. It was, it was a pretty quick read. Okay. Uh, Captain Britain number nine. Number nine. Number uh, nine. Captain Britain fights mutant children that were created by the alternate reality from the Jasper's universe thing from the Alan Moore series. Um, Megan kills a bunch of children and it is revealed that her appearance as a werebeast was quote, a state forced on her by the superstitious fears of people, her people, because she didn't understand the true scale of her powers. So she's, she's Megan as we know her now. It's official. So pretty and elf like. Yeah. Okay. Uh, She feels pretty bad about killing all those kids. Because she doesn't have control of her powers. The government wants to take her away to do tests on her. But Brian's like, no way. You're going to hang out with me. <laughs> uh, Betsy, she takes in the remaining mutant children and allows them all to live at Braddock Manor. Um, and there's some comedic scenes with Brian where he's like in the shower and there's a mutant in the shower and he's all annoyed and stuff. Um, meanwhile, the government makes a deal with the robot that runs the house to get Brian out of the picture. And it, uh, there's, there's an allusion to what sounds like they want to make, uh, Betsy Braddock, the new Captain Britain. Oh, I'm not sure how that's going to play out. How would one go about making somebody a Captain Britain? I don't know. Um, so the, the house robot has Jamie Braddock, their, their brother, kidnapped in Africa in order to distract Brian. And that's where the issue ends. And I assume uh, I'll have answer, more answers next issue. Okay. Um, it was pretty good. Okay. Uh, New Defenders number 146 uh, was not so good. Um, there was that adamant villain named Hotspur. Um, they fight him in Central Park with that lady Andromeda who showed up at the end of the issue. Uh, it turns out that Hotspur is from 18th century London. Tells his backstory. He headed a gang called the Lords of Fun. He was just a guy, but on his deathbed, he made a deal with the devil in order so that he might continue to cause trouble. And somehow he next shows up now, or in the Defender's time, not now, in 1985. Okay. Um, his powers are to manipulate reality, so he, he goads them into killing a crowd of people, but they, they figure out that it, it's actually a, a fantasy that involves Nick Fury. It's kind of it's kind of well-written in that Nick Fury shows up and um, he says, hey, where's your eye patch? And in the next panel, he's got his eye patch. And he's like, right here. And that was kind of clever. 
um, the what is the guy's name? Gargoyle. Gargoyle can somehow manipulates Cloud's sadness because she got dumped by Moon Dragon and uses that against Hotspur, which makes him sad. Um, it's I didn't. It wasn't very good. Uh, <laughs> The lady who's been flirting with Beast in the past couple of issues, whose name is Nancy, takes off her Nancy mask, and it turns out that she is Seraph, uh, which if you go all the way back to Professor the Professor Power issues, was one of the people, I think, that worked for Professor Power, and she reveals that she's also Cloud's sister, and she's taking Cloud away. That's how that ends. Um what did you say about Dazzler? We're we're getting towards the end of it? Yes. We're getting towards the end of Captain Britain and the new defenders too. There's only a handful of issues of both of those. Yes. And that was it for me. Nice. So all that leaves us with is a long shot. Yeah. Lucky, lucky long shot. Lucky, lucky long shot, long shot. So there was a mini series called Long Shot. So this is the first big work by Innocenti as a writer and Art Adams as a penciler. What? Will Anne Nocenti go on and do? Doesn't she go on? What else is she? What does she go on to do? I know she does Daredevil for a while, but honestly, I have, uh, I don't know. She's, I don't know who she is. Like, is she a, is she a, like a, a, a book writer or like, how is she famous? Uh, Cause let's face it. She's not a very good comic writer yet. No, she's not. Doesn't, who goes on to do, to do, um, X Factor? Uh, Louis Simonson. Oh yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, whatever it is that she it may be known for, she certainly hasn't come into her own uh, on this. I didn't... This is a weird series, and I, I don't think I even really knew... Well, maybe I knew it existed, but I was never interested in it because my introduction to Longshot was in the pages of the X-Men, uh, and this series has nothing to do with the X-Men. Didn't she write Beauty and the Beast? She maybe yes she did I'm okay it up now she did <clears throat> okay i mean that's wasn't i don't want to dump on anna Sentix. i'm sure she's done some good stuff but beauty and the beast was not good yeah she's not there yet <laughs> um and this is this is this is this is drawn by art adams uh so that's good i mean the art in here is pretty pretty good art adams uh obviously very influential on you know the jim lees and the rob liefelds mm-hmm. of the world and it would seem, I mean, the, the, the credits here list Anna Senti and Art Adams as co-creators. So, I mean, that could mean any number of things. They may have just met and been like, hey, let's do something together. And they're like, okay, well, I got this idea for uh, a real 80s-looking guy named Longshot. And a lot of good characters come out of this series. A lot? Or maybe just two? Three. Ah, you're right, three. That we know of. We've only done, we only we've only read uh, issues number one through three. Right, right. But it's hard to for me to really get my head around like what is going on with this series. I feel like this is much like Beauty and the Beast. This is a concept series, and I don't feel like Anne Nascenti is a strong enough writer of comic books to descriptively explain what is going on. There's there's something weird about this series where like there's lots of interesting things happening on the page but they never really congeal into a cohesive story somehow so you you have a character this is what i this is what i gathered at least from the first issue we have a character who's from somewhere else who is running away from something and a 
portal forms and he slips through it along with some of the people that were chasing him, but not all the people that were chasing him. Some of the people that were chasing him get caught halfway between wherever they were and wherever Longshot goes, which is a weird concept and neat, but is never really touched on after that dialogue. <laughs> I thought that was weird. He Longshot ends up in New York and now he's a fish out of water. He's he's an, he's an alien. Uh, he's got three fingers, right? So he's not he's not from here, and uh, he 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 doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what his motivations are. He doesn't know where he comes from. And at one point, he even looks into the me- or the window of Nocenti's Deli. Nod, nod, and doesn't even recognize the person staring back at him, who is him. Right. And from there, it just kind of goes on to this uh, weird adventure where he meets this doomsday conspirator who has a fallout shelter and thinks that everything's just going to go to hell. And he's got 270 days of rations and, and stuff. But Longshot discovers a newspaper article, so apparently he can read English, uh, detailing the kidnapping of a baby, and decides that he wants to help. So at, at this point, we he is he know well he may not we know as the reader that he has luck based something. He may not realize it yeah. yet. And I, I don't even know, like, I, we know that because we know him from the X-Men. But as you read no, this... No, we, we, we know it because in the in the first couple of pages, they go out of their way to have things happen and point it out. Like, yes. Oh, what a lucky guy that guy is. Yes. Okay. Fair enough, right? So so he appears, uh, and as he appears, he, like, what is he... Th- he thwarts something, uh, and then and they find the money that was hidden that in like a hidden. gargoyle statue. And he, it, he's also exceedingly attractive to all women. Yes, but he also doesn't quite look human. No, uh, and he he has a uh, friend who is like a like a like a dog. Essentially, yeah, it's a dog. But he talks. He he also speaks. And uh, uh, every time it seems, anyways, uh, that another person comes along, he wants to inter- Longshot wants to introduce this dog to them. Uh, the dog disappears. Right. Uh, and so that's when they they do this whole. And I got confused here, right? So so we he, they, they decide that they're going to help this woman whose baby has been kidnapped. And so. They do, uh, Longshot and the conspiratory guy. And he's got gear and stuff, so he's he's prepared for this type of work. And he doesn't want to do this, but but he ends up doing it because he feels bad for Longshot, or I'm not really sure. I don't know, because Long, Longshot's charismatic and he doesn't have a lot of friends. Like sure. The, this this uh, revolutionary guy doesn't have a lot of friends, and he thinks that Longshot is sort of a like mind. And- mm-hmm. You're right, because he kind of is just doing doing whatever comes next or something like that. The, and part of the problem is the, the the pacing of the issue is every things just happen one after another, and they never really they never really get a chance to follow why any of these people are making these decisions. It just kind of goes from thing to thing to thing. Right, having long shot do this like baby rescue thing is not a bad thing. But it would seem that he would need more time to process everything that's happened. He was in one place. He teleported to another place. He doesn't know who he is. There's a talking dog. And he was being chased by somebody. Like, that's a lot of stuff to process. And then to be like, okay, well, forget all about that. I'm going to save a baby, even though I don't, (laughs) I might not even know what a baby is. Maybe I'm hatched because I'm not from this place. I don't know. I wonder if part of the problem is the Marvel method where the artist 
produces the story, gives it back to Anne Vicente, and now she's got to tell her story on top of it. Maybe that's the same problem that happened with Beauty and the Beast, where the, the artist and the writer conceive the story, the, the, the artist goes and does it, and that's where Anne Vicente falters, is that she has trouble weaving through that format. I'm speculating completely. Could be, could be. But. And if you're out there, please chime in. Let us know how wrong we are. <laughs> but this is where I got confused, right? So they, the, there's a baby that's missing. Uh, it's a redheaded woman who's like, they took my baby. And then she's talking about Scotty and where Scotty is. And immediately I'm like, wait a minute. Is this a tie-in to Madeline Pryor and Scott Summers? But it's not. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, you know, you got a redhead looking for a baby and looking for Scotty. It's like, why would you do this? Why would you make this? is so confusing. Oh, I mean, only for a page. Not even. It should be noted that this issue, number one, came out the same month as all the other stuff that we're doing. So, so the baby, I don't believe, is born yet. Or no, it is born. Is it born? No, 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 no. It's not born. You're right. Uh, the baby isn't born until like issue 200 of X-Men. Okay. So I'm ahead of myself then. So if I was reading this in 1980, whatever, I would not be confused. At any rate, yeah. So they decide to go get this baby. And apparently the they need to go to this windmill that was built on an old Indian burial ground that's got sp- Spirits. Longshot recognizes that, oh, he calls himself Longshot now um, because of his luck. Somebody says, that's a long shot. And he's like, that'll be my name. Yeah. Um, he recognizes from the scene of the crime of the kidnapping that the monsters that were following him are must be at cause. I, I'm not really sure how he how he figures that out, but. I guess it's part of his power set. I don't know. I, he sees it on TV, it looks like, maybe. I don't know. There's a scene where it says, I'll read the doll's past and future, and everybody's like, oh, he's crazy. Yeah, Longshot in these issues seems to have a different power set that we come to know him to have, ultimately. But whatever. So, yeah, that whole thing happens with the um, windmill, and uh, there's, a, there's a fight. Uh, amongst a bunch of these alien dudes. And the aliens, they hate Longshot, but but they won't tell Longshot or each other why. They all know why they hate him, but we don't know. We are never told why they hate Longshot. It's a big secret. Hate him. They hate him so much, they don't even want to tell him why. And eventually, we there's a, there's a pivotal character here. They need... Longshot's luck uh, so that Spiral can do her dance to get them back. But then they'll leave Longshot behind. And they also need the baby. They need to sacrifice the baby for some reason. Oh, I didn't catch that, but I believe you. <laughs> or maybe the baby's just there to draw Longshot in. And like like we said, it's sort of confusing. It's it's very confusing. And But there there is a point where Spiral... If, who, who we see, who looks nothing like the spiral we know, but does have six arms, is about to stab the baby. She's, she's she's like naked, too. She's scantily clad. Yes. She might be topless. I'm not 100%. I thought his hair was patterned after David Bowie from Aladdin scene. I thought his hair was patterned after MacGyver. Well, I think MacGyver was, was MacGyver around? In the in eighty five, I don't know my MacGyver history. I know the MacGyver theme song. <laughs> uh, how does it go? Yeah, uh, first episode, September 29th, nineteen eighty five. That's the that would that would be the exact same time that this is being released. 
Oh, maybe maybe somebody sent Art Adams a copy. Uh, well, no, I, I I did a little research and uh, Art Adams based it on a rock the the, the lead singer of the rock band Kajagugu. Okay, whose name was Lamal, which is an anagram of Hamill because his name is Christopher Hamill. He's not related to Mark. Yeah, so if if you don't know what we're talking about, you should Google Lamal, L-I-M-A-H-L, and uh, there are many Google images in which you will see the long shot hair, which I never knew could exist in real life. Well, I mean, it is it is the David Bowie hair. Yeah. It's just David Bowie also wears makeup and looks a lot more interesting than this. I guess you're right. I feel like... Like David Bowie's hair from um, uh, what was that movie he was in the uh, the labyrinth? Oh yeah, labyrinth. But he, he he had it was longer in the back. He had the poof on top for sure. But yeah, I, I, I can get behind that. Anyways, yeah. So he rescues the baby, and uh, uh, the 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 pup reappears after everybody's gone, and the guy, the revolutionary guy, whatever, he's like, you're I, you're too crazy for me. I'm out of here. He says, you should you should be like a, what is he, it says like you should be a stunt, or you need money. You need money, and you need lots of it, and you need it now, which sets up the motivation for the next issue. The the kidnapped baby's mom also has been hanging around, and she, she too disappears. Um, it is revealed that the alien dog creature that is following him is the son of the leader of the monsters yes but long shot doesn't know this right but we do we sure do so in the next issue long shot basically just becomes a stuntman he 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 lucks his way onto a movie set and lucks himself into a job as a stuntman he meets ricochet rita um who i feel like this costume is very similar to like the costume from the cover like, I feel like I've seen this before, but I guess I haven't. I don't know. It looks as Guardian to me, but it's not. Maybe. Maybe that's what it is. The director of this particular movie wears like a Captain America shirt and a hat with a star, which is kind of funny. I feel like it's supposed to be Stan Lee, but probably not. He has a grin like another Marvel movie maker has. And I thought that maybe he was supposed to represent that character. By which I'm referring to Mojo. Oh, it's probably supposed to be similar, maybe. And there's so there's uh, there's allusions to this, like Longshot's like, oh, well, I need money, but movie making that sounds stupid. Like I don't understand why anybody would want to do this. And of course, you've got some cliched actresses who are trying to retain their youths by using makeup, and then you've got uh, movie stars that are like, watch my every move. You are nothing compared to my elegance and grace, and blah blah blah. Right, we don't really know why. We just realized that Longshot, for some reason, does not like movies and does not like actors, especially. But he he he's been told he needs money, and he's been offered a lot of money. And this Ricochet Rita woman's kind of neat, kind of uh, cut from the same cloth as Longshot, and they have access to jetpacks. <laughs> hey, why not? And this is where, uh, as they're flying around in their jetpacks, this is where we get our first flashback. Um, so Longshot is flying around with a guy who calls Jackson, who looks like a white Michael Jackson, mm-hmm. which is our second appearance of a white Michael Jackson <laughs> this issue. <laughs> this month uh, in Marvel Comics. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, they're like, they're best buddies, and uh, they're they're saving the galaxy or saving the world or something when Mike or uh, when Jackson is killed right right in front of Longshot and then Longshot he's flying towards the death machine and he he says that he's 
he these are cameras, right? I think so. Yeah. I'll kill you, you spineless creeps, and your blasted movies. We fight your lousy wars, we die, so you can have movies. Get those cameras off of me. So I guess the idea is that whatever universe or whatever flashback this is coming from is a place where movies are just filming real things. Yep. And Longshot is some sort of stunt person slash actor for these films. Right. And so then he reverts back to the real world where he comes back from his flashback because uh, he's, he's, this is a flash of remembering where he came from and he's kind of hurtling towards the ground and he's able to catch himself and save himself so he doesn't crash. But he's like, oh, I think I used to be in movies and I don't, I don't think I liked it very much. Right. Thinks he was somebody's slave. And this is where the director really amps up the smiles and the, we're making movies and movies are the best thing in the world and I've got the concepts and I, I can... I can make the best movies, the fastest movies, and blah, 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 blah. And this is where I was like, oh, I think this guy's supposed to be Mojo. But I don't know. Maybe he is. There's, there's maybe maybe more he's supposed issues. to represent Mojo. I mean, it definitely ties. I don't know. We only read the first three issues. And yep. uh, spoilers, Mojo has yet to show up. However, I'm pretty sure Mojo's in this series. Yes. Spoilers. He is. And <laughs> he. we have, I mean, we know him, but. In, in this chronolog chronology, we have not met a mojo, so there's no reason for us to believe that this would be that guy. But anyways, uh, he said, uh, I, I have a million dollar stunt I need you to do. Just sign these releases and we'll do it tomorrow and you might die, but you probably won't and you'll get a million dollars and that's money and you need money. Parallel to the flashback that he had, the stunts are going to be real. Mm -hmm. So there will be real lasers shooting at them as they fly their real jetpacks. And Longshot's like, eh, all right, that's fine. Uh, so Money's Long good, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Longshot and Ricochet Rita, they share a hotel room, and they just kind of stay up late talking about stuff. Um, all the monsters from last issue show up, and then the dog creature shows up and kills them all, or, or makes them all disappear, I guess? I'm not really sure. And the dog creature... This issue has been slowly evolving. It started with him growing a spiky tail and then kind of a, uh, pro, uh, I don't know, a protruding spine. And now he can walk on two legs and he's drinking beer. Eating a lot of their food. Yes. And this time when uh, Ricochet Rita shows up, he does not disappear. Ricochet Rita left because she got mad at Longshot for some reason, but then she thought, Twice of it came back to have a conversation, and you're right. Well, she she kissed him, and then she said that his skin oh was like leather. I don't think you're human. I got to get out of here. Right, but then she comes back and she's like, ah, I've been thinking about some stuff, and that's when she sees the the dog thing, and uh, she sticks around while Longshot's like, Who are you? Tell me what's going on. And the guy's like, Fine, I hate you. That's all I know. <laughs> Which is very sudden and strange, but okay. So they were best friends, uh, and now it's been revealed that this guy just hates Longshot. Longshot's pretty broken up about it. He's like, oh, it's my only friend here. And Ricochet is like, it's not your only friend. I'm your friend, too. And he thinks to himself, I can't ever get it close to anybody again, because you never know. Yeah. You never know. You never know what. So then we go to the movie set. Uh, in the the backdrop of this looks like a castle Grayskull, which is kind of cool. I was thinking Doctor Wily's castle from one of the Mega Man. Sure, sure, sure. Somewhere in between the two. Although uh, I don't think Doctor Wily exists yet. Eighty-five. I don't know. Probably uh, not. I think we're a year. maybe in Japan. Yeah, I'll give you. That. Yeah, yeah. Probably in Japan. 
As Rockman. As Rockman, absolutely. So they're about to shoot this thing, and the lasers fire, and long shots having some issues. And here's where we get that if his motive is not pure, his luck powers don't work. And right now his motive is to make a million dollars and therefore his motives are not pure. We get another flashback that features a bunch of druids. Um, Not only, I guess it seems like they're giving him his luck powers and and describing them, but they also um, brand his eye with the star thing that's on his eye. Oh. Which we haven't mentioned yet. Uh, you know, classic long shot thing is the is, is the big star in his eye. They've mentioned it a couple times in the first issue. Here we see it actually get branded onto him, which I never realized that it was just a branding. All of the druids have underneath their hoods the same eye branding. Oh yeah, you're right. How did I not notice that? Honestly, I thought, I just noticed it as we were talking about it, but I always thought his little star was just like a accentuated twinkle in his eye. I don't know what I thought it was, but I didn't, yeah, I guess I didn't really think of it as real. And this is something that Rob Liefeld will steal later on and make every character do all the time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like I said, Art Adams, highly influential on uh, Longshot. It should also be noted that Longshot is one of the first heroes with pockets. Oh, yeah. Yep. He does have a handful of pockets. And I I read somewhere that that's because Art Adams didn't like the idea of heroes pulling things out of spandex places. Yeah, places where you can't see where they're being hidden. Sure, that makes sense. I like that. So he's reflecting on his motives. Um, He is hit and he's potentially dying. Yeah, he nearly gets killed. He falls out of the sky. Almost to the ground where he would be destroyed by some sort of robo-dogs. This is a very expensive movie. Yeah, the lasers and robo-dogs. And uh, the director shows up and he's like, oh my God, we, uh, put him in my truck. I'll take him to the hospital. And he's like freaking out. I was like, oh my God, the contract he signed is illegal. I could get sued. And if he dies, oh my God. So he drives long shot out to the ocean and, or lake or some body of water and dumps the body and somewhere near a bridge as we find out next issue something is happening as he as Longshot is drowning all of a sudden the director's like i can't breathe and then as Longshot comes back up for air he can breathe again so i don't know if the the implication is that whatever's affecting Longshot is happening to the director or if the director's just like i can't breathe because i can't believe what i just did to this man yeah i thought it was just because he couldn't do uh the, the latter like he just is panicking yeah but it's like however it anything goes so yeah the way you read it though is sink you his lungs will fill fill with water i can't breathe he's rising don't look at me he sees me don't look at me yeah i don't know it's weird it's not clear and so that's the end of issue two um issue three features a man named jinx who is the antithesis of Longshot. He is just bad luck. He's uh, living a miserable life with a normal family, but he is miserable about it. Yep. Um, he's got a nagging wife and loud kids running around, breaking stuff. His breaking point is the fact that he has to brush his teeth every morning and every night for the rest of his life until he dies. And that coupled with the with the nagging and the TV and the kids and the puppy... 
is too much. So he pulls the gun out and he shoots the TV and then he leaves with the desire to end it all by jumping off a bridge. It's kind of a uh, tense scene. The, it makes it look like he's pointing his gun at his family, but he's actually just shooting the TV. He jumps off the bridge and he's like, oh man, I can't even kill myself right because he lands on long shot. It looks surprisingly like Cable in this shot. You're right. He's got the blinking eye like Cable and all the pockets and like the ammo belt. Mm -hmm. So this guy pulls him off to the bank and uh, long shot just starts healing very fast. Which is uh, yet another uh, power that I guess he has. Yes. <laughs> and so he, he and this Jinx guy, they, they talk and through it. Longshot learns that this guy would like maybe some adventure or would like to mix it up. And he's like, okay, well, let's go on adventure. And and this is another example of what you were talking about before, where things just kind of move very quickly without any explanation. Um, the guy had talked about how he had con Ed bills to pay and perhaps he was behind. And somehow Longshot gets wind of this and decides that they're going to go rob some diamonds from con ed right and this is uh is con ed a thing i don't know if con ed i mean con ed is a thing but i don't know if that it's that con ed what is con ed it says in tiny letters in the panel where they show up at their place something edison oh okay it's like a power company yeah and I don't know. The way it's written to me uh, is like, everybody knows what Con Ed is. <laughs> Con Ed's got diamonds and they have expensive power. There was a newspaper article earlier in the issue where the guy was sitting on his couch about the diamonds, but I don't know how uh, Longshot knows about the diamonds. They never really explained that. He, yeah, I think maybe the, the Jinx talked about the diamonds, but he heard somebody else in a previous issue talking about con ed and so he put all this together that like oh con ed they're a bunch of thieves well let's go he now he can have true motives he can get money by taking the things that con ed has stolen or that he understands to have been stolen and he can return some of it and maybe keep some of it and then he can have money and true motives so apparently this is really based on con ed because it's called Consolidated Edison, and that's what the actual label says. Right. It is the largest investor-owned energy company in the United States, or it is one of the. Hmm. So, and they have diamonds for some reason, like stolen diamonds, I think, or stolen diamonds were found at Con Ed. I don't remember. But anyways, they, they, they go on an adventure. <laughs> Plus, it's, it's as, as Longshot notes, this is a pure motive, stealing from an evil corporation. Yep. And we get a little bit more growth from the leader of the monsters as well as Spiral. Um, Spiral just wants to kill him. Um, Spiral in her actual costume now. Yeah, but it's still in shadows. Like, we're not getting, like, the full-on Spiral reveal. They're, it's weird. I guess at this point, they probably don't know that Spiral is going to be a recurring character. Oh, no, this isn't the dog creature. This is the dog creature's dad. Yeah, that's, well, that's what I meant. But yeah, the, okay. the leader of the monster's dog creature. I think I initially thought it was the dog creature. Yeah, and they all hate him. And they're like, uh, well, soon we will kill him. Uh, you just be ready to dance. So they go through, I, I, I got to also say that I noticed that there was a little bit of swearing in this issue. As well as a little bit of nudity. Was there? Well, so Jinx, when he's about ready to jump off the bridge, he says, no more pissing dog, in addition to all the other things that were going on in his life. I don't think I've ever seen the word pissing in a comic book before. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 
And then in this uh, issue, as they're breaking into Con Ed, there's a little nudie uh, picture above the calendar planner. Oh, well, that's, I mean, she's naked, but she can't <laughs> see anything. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, it's, it's risque for for a Marvel comic at this I time. I guess so. I guess so. There's multiple. There's There's two of them. But yes, you're right. They're profiles and you can't see anything. Anyways, they're they're looking for the diamonds, and this is when uh, Nightcrawler, not Nightcrawler, but Longshot has a uh, f- another flashback, and there's a bunch of people that are all wired up, a la Matrix style. Yeah, they're they're all fat, blobby creatures. Uh, they they comment about how they don't have spines. They ride around on machines. But the people that are wired up like Matrix people, they're all muscular and they have spines and they're pretty. But that prettiness is so ugly. Right. Yeah. These people are like Wally people. Won't spines make them better than us? <laughs> yeah. These are um, Mojo people. Uh, They're essentially Mojo people. And one of them may be Mojo, but nobody is ever called Mojo. They keep referring back to uh, somebody named Arise who uh, engineered these creatures. Yes, they are. They are slaves. They mentioned that they're slaves. They are perfectly engineered slaves with spines because Arise has a quirky sense of humor. Yeah. So whatever dimension they're in, like fat is in. Yeah, these poor creatures and doing our labor won't have a flicker of energy left over to think. Yeah, so I guess the the the, the thought here is that rather than ex, ex, uh, using expending energy on like walking and exercise and things of that, like we can just all these machines will move us around, and that leaves us free to use our minds much more than these these people with spines that have to to work to move. Right. Yeah. And uh, so it's it's almost seeming as though maybe Longshot was grown uh, in one of these places. Well, I'm assuming that this one who says no one owns me is Longshot. Could be. This man who says no one owns me is blonde, but has kind of like a buzz cut. Um, there's no markers on him that specifically identify him as Longshot, but it could be. You can't see how many fingers he has because those are covered up by some more machinery. He's, uh, the Mojo creature says that this is a feisty little slave and presses a button that shuts off his mind. Yeah. We own you, we made you, and you're ugly. So that's maybe why it's not Longshot? Like maybe this is just an anomaly that broke away from his programming and that's when this... But then in the very next panel, Longshot wakes, snaps out of the the flashback and says, shut off my dot, dot, dot. Jinx, who created us? Who built us? Yeah, you're probably right. That probably is Longshot. And that's the only reason I connected it was because of that shut off my... No, you're probably right. So they eventually find the diamonds and the monsters find them. And it turns out that the monsters are able to use the diamonds to uh, to basically set up the same situation that they had in issue one where they can use spiral to use the diamonds to teleport home. Yeah, there's like a resonation or something like that about the diamonds that they can use for this. During the ensuing scuffle, they manage to knock out all of the power of New York City and we get a panel with J. Jonah Jameson and Peter Parker and... Uh, Peter Parker's thinking to himself, go ahead, Jameson, say it. And J. Jonah Jameson says, must be Spider-Man's fault. Actually, this is a good panel, by the way. Yeah, it is. J. Jonah Jameson looks looks like J. Jonah Jameson and Peter Parker, even though he's like way off in the background, you're like, that's Peter Parker. And that's Robbie. Yep. 
in the foreground there. And then who's the who's the woman? Is that that's the 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 girl that works there that I can never remember the name of. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So Longshot fights some of the monsters, but he gets wrapped up by some rope or something, and Spiral starts doing her dance. And here's where we get our first full costumed Spiral. Um, still, still very small. Yep. But this is definitely the costume that I remember. Yes. From the pages of X-Men. She's got the boots. She's got the boots. It's all about the boots and the helmet. Yes. The main monster is still being a little bit elusive, but they definitely hate Longshot. They're just not telling him why. Yeah, they they comment about how he doesn't remember anything. Ha ha. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to we're going to leave. We're going to go home and we're going to leave you with the knowledge that you don't know what's going on. And that's our revenge. And they do. They disappear, and that's when his dog-like friend, who he calls Pup, I don't know if we mentioned that yet, shows up. Um, and I guess he had pulled uh, Jinx aside so that Jinx wouldn't get killed. Mm-hmm. Jinx, by the way, had had like was had the diamonds. He was all happy about that, and he tripped over uh, like a dead guard and just landed flat on his face and said, "Oh my God, I broke my face," which was kind of a funny line. Oh, that's right. And then he's been out of the picture since then. But now uh, Pup has brought him back. And Pup's like, I, di- I didn't save him. I took him to kill him. Presumably he lost all of his teeth. He does say that. It's an important note. Yeah. I didn't save him. I took him to kill him because I hate you. You and your human form and your pretty face and your stinking luck. But you didn't kill him, Pup. You're still you. Hold on to what's good in you. Pup says he's not worth it. And he leaves. And uh, they escape from Con Ed, and uh, police show up and kind of clean up the mess. Longshot's still got a bunch of these diamonds, and uh, he's like, well, you know, at least we got these diamonds, right? I mean, Con Ed's the real bad guy here, and we, we got the diamonds. And that's when Jinx is like, nope, we stole those. Con Ed might be an evil corporation who steals people's monies, but it at least they do it following the rules of the law. So right. It's not right. But he also says you should give those diamonds uh, and use them to help the people who lost power in New York because you caused all this. I guess everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people in New York, since the power has been cut off, are like going crazy and rioting. And Jinx has a new outlook on life. He feels like he doesn't want to hang out with Longshot anymore because he's perfect. But at least at his own house, he's the king of the castle. He grabs some roses and he thinks to himself as he walks away, at least I won't have to brush my teeth anymore. Because he lost his teeth when he fell on the on his face. <laughs> so this last three panels, I didn't make any sense to me. Um, there's two people at a coffee shop talking about the events of the previous night when there was a blackout in New York. And they talk about a new supervillain, long shot, that they caught on camera. He's beautiful, but what's he doing? He's punching nobody. And I didn't know if... I had to flip back. Like, was there a fight scene that would indicate that, like, Pup was a figment of his imagination? Or Jinx was a figment of his imagination? Or, like, what does this mean? Maybe that cameras can't capture the monster's images? Well, but what does this frame, this picture, where is this represented in the issue? It's not. But there was a fight scene. So I'm assuming that this <laughs> this was an outtake of the fight scene where he was fighting one of the monsters. Not 
pup because he never hits pup. He he was fighting the monsters inside of Con Ed. This looks to me like he's on the sidewalk in Manhattan. Well, if you go, uh, if you go to the page before they lose power, uh, New York City loses power. He throws a punch. He hits a monster. I think it's supposed to be that. Yeah, but isn't he inside of Con Ed? I think he's still inside of Con Ed. You're looking at these squares like they're sidewalks, but I think they're just paneling. Maybe. Because there's like wires on the ground. I guess. Weird mechanical failure, strange electric. In fact, comparing these two, they're very, the, the, the panel that I'm looking at in this picture in the newspaper are all very similar. What page is it on? The number of this is Bottom right 16. Hand 16? 16. Bottom right hand panel. Mm, okay. There's like four monsters here, but the line says, oh, well, who needs lights? So like when I read this, like it's, he's... He's able to do this fight because of his luck power, and he can't see anything because it's pitch black, which means that they wouldn't be able to capture his picture for the newspaper. I don't know. It's very confusing. Maybe we'll learn more in the next issue. Maybe all of these monsters have always been specters of his imagination, except for Spiral, because she comes back. (laughs) The next issue features She-Hulk and Spider-Man, so that's kind of cool. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one. So that's it. Probably more backstory on Longshot than you ever thought you would get. That's more than I thought I would get. And there's three more issues to go. I know. I had no idea. Uh, anyways, Nathan Maney, uh, he wrote us to tell us about Nazgul. Remember Nazgul? I do, that, that band that we were talking about. Featured in, in, in many issues of Marvel Comics. Uh, apparently he was featured, or that band is a fictitious band from George R. R. Martin's novel, The Armageddon Rag. The band was huge in the late 60s until the lead singer was shot in the head during the concert. The book is about the band reforming in the early 80s with the lead singer supposedly resurrected, but it's really about the flower power generation and how they lost their way over the course of the 70s. It's a pretty good read. It sounds super interesting based on that description. Maybe since the HBO will make a series about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'd, I'd watch it. Although the HBO just tried that that, that vinyl series. There was that Showtime, and that didn't. It was, a, it was a. I thought it was a good show, but it didn't go anywhere. I thought, I thought vinyl was HBO. Um, I tried. Okay. I think I tried watching it, and I didn't really. I think the first episode didn't hook me. I probably didn't give it a good enough chance, though. I also agree. It did not hook me, but I came back and the second episode is what hooked me. And the series from then on was really strong. But then they didn't didn't renew it for a second season, so I wouldn't bother watching it. (laughs) Okay. All right. It's good good TV, like everything is these days. But, uh, yeah, there's... I guess it's encapsulated, sort of. I guess if you know, it's probably a different experience if you don't expect a second season. It does. It does resolve, I suppose. It's it's the golden age of television, which is worrisome because every golden age has to end, and then what do you have to look forward after that? The golden age of cinema. Mm, I think we're way past the golden age of cinema. The golden age of comics. Oh, I think we're way past the golden age of comics. The golden age of YouTube. YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe. All right, uh, maybe the golden age of the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. Ooh, I was about to say that. <laughs> Beatcha. All right, everybody, help us make the golden age true in 2017 by letting your friends and neighbors and, and, and enemies know that they can tune into our podcast here at uh, www.xmenpodcast.com or on facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. We can also be followed at Danger Room Go. 
Send us an email, dangerroom at redcapproductions.com, or check us out on iTunes. Go to the podcast section, type in Danger Room with the first one that pops up. Subscribe to us, leave us a review, give us some stars, or not. Uh, or give us a phone call at 501-GET-X-MEN, 438-9636. Yeah, boy. Yeah. Golden Age. Apparently, uh, Ricochet Rita was based on Anne Nascenti. Oh, okay. So she was a stunt woman before turning comic book writer? No, just, just, uh, just visually. Oh, okay. Well, you have anything else to add to this one? Nada. Okay, then. Until next time, everybody. My name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.